Okay, so last week we started looking at the atonement. Um, Today we're going to start looking at how the church has viewed the atonement from the early church to today. Um, You know, prior to prior to praying, I kind of said that this we might get through it today. Now that I think about kind of where we're going to end up, this actually may be worth doing in two parts. the first part is kind of how we'll, we'll probably look at how we've kind of come about to the view that we hold in the Protestant church today. And then we'll look at the, we'll probably end with an eye towards um, kind of where the, the, maybe the divisions or the differences in understanding have come about in the particular view that we um, kind of hold uh, now. Um, in the church, in the in the Protestant church. So, um, the atonement of Christ. Uh, last week, we we kind of set out the definition for that to be um, the atonement is the work that Christ did in His life and death to earn our salvation. So, as we look from kind of the early church um, to today, um, there's, I'm gonna and I'm gonna read. I'm gonna be reading a couple of little excerpts from the historical theology book. Uh, that I've kind of been using as as my guide um, in in pre- preparing for the historical portions of of the study that we've been doing. So I'm going to read a couple of different things um, from it, uh, just to kind of give you an give you an idea of. Um, there's a lot of places that we look at particular church doctrines where, from very early on, there was a set. Um, there was, there was an established understanding of things and that that's carried through, right? And then there's other times um, where there may have been something established early and then throughout maybe like the, the, the medieval church, like as the Catholic church kind of grew, certain things maybe got out of, got out of whack a little bit and the, Ref, the Reformation kind of realigned those things. And then there are other areas where we find um, that there wasn't a clear, there wasn't a clear fixed view, and that that view's kind of evolved, and it's taken it maybe longer for the for the view that we would hold today to kind of develop out. And then there are times where there are views um, that were held predominantly in the early church um, that that in some regards we don't hold them at, at all today. Um, this one that we're going to look at today is going to kind of be a, a, a mixture of those of those last two things, right? So, um, uh, just I, I want to start out with this. So, at times, this is a, this is kind of a direct quoting here. At times, um, speaking about kind of the church's understanding here, at times it has viewed the death of Christ as a payment to Satan. At other times, Christ's death has been considered to be a tribute offered to God to restore His honor lost through humanity's sins. Some in the church have focused on the great example Christ, of Christ's life as, as His chief accomplishment. Others have understood how much the death of Christ demonstrates the love of God and prompts humanity um, to love Him in return. Like there, This is one of those doctrines that throughout church history there have been like an extensive number of ways that, that the church has has um, come to understand the doctrine of the atonement, um, some of which we would reject all out today, some of which we would say, you know, like maybe this, this particular portion is right, but you've overemphasized this idea or that. Um, in the Protestant church today, <clears throat> the, the 
kind of the predominantly held view of the atonement is what we'll call the penal substitutionary view, right? So this is the understand that we would the understanding that we would tend to hold here. Like this is what you're going to hear from Dustin if he's preaching about the atonement from me or from Corey. Like this is kind of the this is kind of the predominant view um, today. Um, how did we get there? Because here's the here's the reality. So and this is one of those areas because there's going to be places that we hit this. In future, like as we're looking at how how these ideas have kind of morphed through the church, there are going to be places where I'm going to say to you, if it comes late, if this is a late development in the church, then you should question it, right? And this is one of those this is one of those views that though there were there were no doubt. Uh, places in the early church where the view that we hold today were being held by believers, the predominant, and this is, it, it blows my mind personally because I'm, uh, I, I ask myself, how did you come to that conclusion? Because when I read the book, I don't see that. And the conclusion that I, that I come to, um, there, it, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna, you know, morph here and there, but I think the primary reason that, that the views then likely were held, this is Landon's speculation here, is that probably, um, the availability of the text was definitely less common, so you were, you were left with ideas that come from the leaders who could consume and, and, and teach and preach. Um, from the texts that were available, right? So, like, as the, this view has been one of those views in my mind that, um, as kind of the pro- proliferation of the availability of God's word became, um, it, it became more available during the time of the Reformation and the timing from what all of the reformers were kind of working to go back to that original text. I think out of that is one of the primary reasons that we see this view having blossomed out of the Reformation. So the primary view that was held, and this is like this is if you were to rewind to like shortly after the establishment of the church and you were to ask them why did Christ die, a, a, a high percentage of them would say they died, that Christ died to um, ransom us from Satan. Right? Um, so the ransom view was the prim- was the 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 view held by most during the kind of time of the early church. The the reason for that, many of the kind of early church leaders were teaching that view. Again, I, I asked myself, I'm like, bro, did you read Romans chapter three? Because it doesn't seem to tell me there that we were being like ransomed, like like Jesus had to pay something to Satan. Right? Like, what does Jesus owe Satan in my mind? But, but that was the primary view. So what morphed and what changed throughout the, the time of the church to get us to the point to where we hold uh, the substitutionary view of the atonement? That, that Christ died to pay, the, to pay the ransom, not to Satan, but to satisfy the justice of God, right? Like Romans chapter 3, we would read that, that, that the work of Christ both shows God to be just and the justifier, right? So this idea that, that the work, that God, that God overlooking sin, right? And not immediately punishing, but overlooking for those who, who trusted in Him, you could look in, in the Old Testament, if you didn't know that the cross was coming, you could say, it's wrong for you to not punish sin, Lord, if you're just. Right? 
You can't let sin just... That, that's an unfair judge, right? Like, we would look to that. So, in the work of Christ, God does two things. He shows His loving kindness and mercy because He's the, he's the justifier. But in the punishment of Christ, He also shows that as He was passing over sin, He was not passing over sin, right? Like, He was... He was that, that sin was building up and that wrath for that sin was poured out on Christ instead of us. The penalty was paid Him as a substitute for us. That's kind of the view that we would, that we hold, uh, today. So what was the, what was the kind of, um, the, the morphing that happened throughout time to, to kind of get us there? There are seven views throughout kind of the, the history of the church that you could kind of look to and give names for kind of, th- this is at some point someone's kind of believed and held to this particular view or that particular view. Um, I'm going to kind of list them out um, in, in kind of the phases, the early church, the Middle Ages, or established church, and then Reformation and what's kind of come out of that. And then we'll kind of look a little bit um, at each of those, like what, what, did, what were they thinking during each of those kind of periods and, and what moved from one um, way of understanding to another and, and ultimately like why is it that we hold what we hold today and this is going to be one of those things when we get into other areas um, where, we, where, we, where we find later developments in the church we should always ask ourselves what is the core for which we base our understanding today why do you believe what you believe this is a question for you. Like, why is it that you believe what you believe about God? Is it? We hope, right? So it ought to be Scripture, right? It ought to be Scripture. So what, why then do we do this work of evaluating what the church has viewed over time? Why is that important? Why do we see that as an important thing to do if we see it as an important thing to do? Like what's to see if it actually is scripture or if it's just what we think. There you go. So what happens a lot of times is if you go into a vacuum, you carry with you things to the text that can that can sometimes aid in your understanding of the text and sometimes can be a detriment to your understanding of the text. So I tell you like you need to be in God's word as an individual. But God has given us the church to aid us. Because not all of us can understand necessarily this thing as clearly as maybe this thing. But maybe where I lack, Dustin would pick up. And I'm, I'm like, oh, he's like when he said that, like it made clear now to me what I was struggling with previously in the text. So you, you read Scripture and study yourself personally. And then we come together and study as a collective, right? So that we can, like, that's a sanity check for us. It's a safety net or, or guardrails for our lives. So that if I'm in one place in error, the Holy Spirit may be working in me there, and He may have already done that work in you, so that as you're interacting with me with the, with God's Word, that you help to refine and to sharpen, right? Yeah, yeah. My husband and I like to talk about that a lot. 
And we, you know, like you've got those reasoners and logical people. Like I might be more experiential. Like I might really experience them yeah. and bring to the text good stuff. Like as I experience it and learn from those experiences. However, sometimes it can get bent. Yeah. And be an error. And so those people who sharpen us, like you and Dustin, and lots of you guys. And we're all growing to become more. Yeah. Like learning through our mind. But we all have weaknesses. So those same weaknesses, and I'll let you jump in. Those same weaknesses can be in our entire community. Right? So like we could all have a blind spot that we share. So by, by taking it back and looking historically, trusting that there have been believers that have come prior to us, the hope is, is that if we share a blind spot, maybe those that came before didn't share the same blind spot. Because it could be like a cultural thing that influenced us to think a certain way. So it helps us to sanity check the views that we have. And this is why I say late development of views is something that we ought to ask ourselves why late and not early? Right? Why late and not early? Ultimately, I ought to hold the view that I hold and you ought to hold the view that you hold because you dig into Scripture and the Holy Spirit tells you it's true. Right? Knowing that we could be in error in understanding what we read today, right? Which is why we constantly stay in this book, constantly stay reading, stay studying, stay growing, because the things that you might hold today, you might you might morph over the life over your life to hold a different view at the end, because we're all growing in holding righteousness, right? So this is why we kind of go through this effort. And the church, the church is this is a crazy Beautiful thing. The, the church itself, the body of Christ, is being matured in time, right? Like there are certain things that you would look back historically and you'd be like, church, why did you ever make that mistake? Like I think about like, you know, like how, how did anyone stand in any pulpit and think that it was okay that slavery was going on in their community? And not speak out against. But that the reality is, is that there were likely believers in those places that said nothing. Right? So it's a blind spot. Blind spot. But God working and moving through time and history works the body of Christ in that same way. Right? So the body of Christ is being sanctified. We're being sanctified individually. And sometimes we find that these particular views um, at certain times stick. Right? And this is what we're going to find kind of as we, as we push through this. So first, there's two views that were kind of primarily held um, in, the, um, in the early days of the church. One view has come to be known, the recapitulation view. Um, this view holds, and, and like there's a lot of stuff that I see in this, but the ransom to Satan view, there's, that one's hard for me, right? Because I'm like, who is Satan, and like, why would he need paid the, the life of 
God Himself, right? Like, like He bought Him all, right? Right? Like, God made you and holds you in existence, man. Like, there's a part of that that just, like, it rubs my brain the wrong way, and I, I'm just like, what in the world's going on? This, uh, this recapitulation view is not one of those, right? I, don't, I like looking into it, I'm like, I, I, like, there's certain aspects of it I like, there's certain aspects of it that I'm like, nah, you could, you could, you know, use to, to maybe pull in this particular text or this to kind of shore up that understanding, but this one's not all terrible, right? Um, so the recapitulation view, um, in general, and we don't have time to dig deep into all of these, but in general, um, it would say something like those things that were lost in Adam were regained in Christ. I like, like, I like that. I'm like, you know, like there's a lot that I would have in common with someone who would hold that particular view. And I could see how that particular view uh, throughout the, the, the history of the church would morph into the view that we hold today. Like there's lots of times that I'm looking at that um, and I'm thinking in the very same way that what that the work that Christ did, like Hebrews would, would, would kind of, it lays Christ out as the as the supreme to all the types before, right? So he's the, he's the better Adam in this regard, right? So those things that were lost in Adam were regained or restored in Christ. That's kind of uh, one view of the atonement that was that was kind of um, being popularized during the, the days of the early church. The other one, and probably the more common one, um, which is like, this one's, this is, it just, I'm, I, like I say, this, this one's one of those that I'm like, oh, come on, man, like, we could do better. <laughs> like, just, maybe they didn't have Romans, maybe the particular group that was doing this didn't have Romans at the time, or maybe they weren't reading it so much. Um, but the ransom to Satan view, um, was one that was, um, hugely popular. I don't really even have to, t- to go into that one much. You kind of know what that means, is, is that you were held ransom, by Satan, and they believe that the de- that Christ's death on the cross, like, and and I'm not saying that you weren't a slave to sin, right? But that that the that the work of the cross was to appease Satan was kind of the the view of the atonement then, right? It wasn't to make God just and the justifier. It was because Satan had you, and Jesus' death was the only thing that could buy you back, kind of thing. Um, that was a popular view. Um, as as kind of we press on through the history of the church, um, a couple of other views started to to kind of um, grow out of the early church into the into the the medieval church. Um, those two primary views was the satisfaction view. This view very closely relates. Like there's there's very much. Uh, similarity between the satisfaction view and the penal substitu- substitutionary view, um, which is the view that, that kind of is probably the predominant view in the church today. Um, the satisfaction view, instead of it being about God's justice, though, said it was about God's honor, that when we sin, we've dishonored God. Um, and it, the the reason that this kind of came about, um, Anselm, the the culture that Anselm was a part of was it was a feudal system. Essentially, you work and like uh, like your lord was over you, and you worked to to. So if there was any dishonoring between you and them, you had to to do a work to satisfy that. But as he was kind of um, in that particular um, culture, that lifestyle, that view kind of helped to shape his understanding and, and the teaching that he brought about about if we've dishonored God, if I dishonor my lord earthly 
and I need to repay him or there needs to be a, a debt repaid to him, then how much more the debt that I would owe the Lord of Lords, right? Um, and then out of this comes the understanding that, that I can't merely repay and then from that you, you get the idea that it's like we, there's nothing we could do to repay. Once we've dishonored him, we already owe him everything. So to even think that I could maybe use this to work towards that good would be a further dishonoring. So after the first dishonor, any other attempt to satisfy that need for him to be restored in honor would only do more to work to dishonor him, right? So we need someone to provide a satisfactory sacrifice or atonement that could restore that honor and could be given to us. So that's kind of the that's kind of high level the satisfaction view and kind of how it came to how it came to to you know be um, kind of known and start talking and 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 I would imagine that this view kind of being held throughout you know several several generations and then um, still being kind of in in uh, common usage during the time of the Reformation is is in all likelihood what kind of sparked and, and morphed into the substitute, substitutionary view that we hold today. So in the in the Middle Ages, another view that came to be popularized, and this one's actually like when this one came about, like you're gonna know you're gonna know this one. Because this one's kind of popular today, it w- it wouldn't be popular in our circles so much. But you've definitely you've definitely heard this one. This is kind of a secular. This would be like in line with a lot of secular views of what Christ has done, and in line with a lot of non-Christian views, like like other religious views, um, universalist type views of of the work of Christ would see it like this. Um, so the one of the views that kind of came about and and um, the Middle Ages was the moral influence view, and this view kind of said um, that Christ's death, um, that He didn't need to die for your sin, or like that God's not so petty as to send you to hell for, you know, like the, the sins that you commit. He could just forgive you of that. Like the real purpose for Christ's life and death was to be a motivator for you to live rightly. Right, and there's lots of that that's that's absolutely true. Right, like today as believers, like I look to the work of Christ, and that should absolutely influence the life that I live today. But if I think that God's righteousness and His justice don't need to be satisfied, and that that's not a part of what's being done on the cross, then then I've overemphasized one aspect and kind of maybe pushed aside. Another right, so this idea, um, the, this kind of um, undue weight towards the influence, where um, the 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 work of satisfying the righteous um, wrath of God was kind of downplayed. This uh, kind of came about in the in the Middle Ages, and this has become known as kind of the moral influence view that Jesus came to influence you to do good works. That the atonement is not necessarily about um, making you right with God but that the atonement is about giving you um, an example to follow. And later on, it actually, it actually morphs into the, 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 the example view um, in kind of the post-Reformation age. So during the same amount of, during the same kind of this 
time, time frame of the Middle Ages, um, some other influences started coming in um, that started emphasizing human cooperation with Christ's work. Um, this kind of became known as like the sacraments, right? Like, so like this kind of the atonement morphing in the work of Christ not necessarily being sufficient, but now we need to add to that the sacraments of the Holy Church kind of thing. And now you've got a like this kind of all of this evolved um, together. Um, and and uh, thank you, Thomas Aquinas, for that because he was kind of one of the guys that kind of started originating that. Um, and those ideas stuck and and really went kind of haywire in a lot of different places and and you can see you can see a lot of that even today um in the way that the Catholic Church kind of operates um so now we're now we're at the point of the reformation um during the reformation um this this idea this satisfaction view um where it was about God's honor more did I would say like Romans chapter 3 we won't um, let's actually let's do read it. So the 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 moral view or whatever, the yeah. moral example view, would that have been around the same time as the Renaissance? Because that seems like a very humanistic yeah. view that yeah. coincided with kind of the ideas of the. Yeah, it absolutely it absolutely is, and the, and it's important to understand that culture has a way of influencing our thoughts, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the ransom view, like if you think about the superstition, um, you know, and and maybe the more like hyper spiritual superstitious ideas that were going on at the time, that maybe would have given Satan a little more power and influence than what Scripture does. Like that would influence. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like I, how, how much we can be influenced by. The ideas, secular ideas around us, how that yeah, impact, if we're not it, it absolutely does, and that's why that's why I think it's important for us to to ask these questions, right? Even in well-established places, like yeah. we should ask the question now. In well-established, we should really quickly come back to the proper solution there. Um, but to ask the question, am I thinking rightly about this? And knowing that I base my understanding first on Scripture with the assistance of my brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, with the assistance of the church throughout history to help me kind of fact check and make sure that I don't run, you know, completely into heresy because of some thing that I've got, like some crazy harebrained idea that I've thought up that nobody else in history's thought up. Like, that's what we're trying to make sure that we don't do, right? Like, we don't want to be inventing new ways of thinking about God thousands of years after God Himself came and told us what He was like, right? Like, we want to make sure that we draw back to Scripture and that we pull our understanding from Scripture and that we... Um, that when we speculate, we make clear lines of division between this is what Scripture's clear on, and this is this is um, not what Scripture says. But these are thoughts that I have reflecting on. Like we should make clear lines there, and I try to do my best whenever I'm like stepping away to be like, look, guys, this is not Scripture. Maybe this is like my harebrained idea here, but we should be we should be clear on those lines of division and not let them like one bleed over into the other. And this type of approach 
approach, like looking at, at, at what the church has, has kind of uh, historically viewed on things helps us to, to kind of be reminded that we can make mistakes, that entire generations can make mistakes, um, but that God is working throughout the history of His church and that every time that He's kind of course corrected His church, it has, it has occurred when men and women get in the book, Right? Like course corrections happen when we get in the book. Um, so uh, Romans chapter um, Romans chapter three, um, looking in verse twenty one through twenty six here, uh, and this is where like these types of these types of verses and, and, the, and understanding of these is what would what would tend to shape uh, the substitutionary view that we hold today. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law of the prophets bear witness. To it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. So, what are we talking about here? The righteousness of God, uh, verse twenty-three: for all is sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward. So, who put Him forward? As a propitiation, right? By His blood to be received by faith. Now I want us to ask ourselves, when we're examining these other views, like the ransom to Satan view, like does it get, does it align with this truth of Scripture, or is it rejected by this truth that we find in Scripture? Right. So God put forward as a gift of grace. Now He could have put forward as a ransom for Satan, right? Like that doesn't negate that possibility. But the rest of this text will. Um, so whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Then what was this to do? Right. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, right? So as as Paul here laying out like the work that God has done in Christ, the reason that he's put this forward, God's righteousness, um, his grace towards us, and then he, he brings up um, this idea of God's justice, Right? God being just. There's no question about God being just. And we see that in the work of Christ on the cross, in the atonement, right? Because He didn't just pass over sins. Sin, all sin was punished in Christ. Your sin from before you were born to the, after, you know, you live your life here, all of that covered um, in the work of Christ on the cross so that God would be both just and the one who justifies. So Him putting forward as a propitiation was for whose sake? It was for our sake and and for God's sake. Because He's just. And we need to know that He's just. So that if you think that your unrighteousness will go on eternally unpunished, what is the reality? If He would spare not His Son, who could finish the cup of His wrath, what of the sinner who does not repent? Right? So um, this view, the substitutionary view, um, really sticks and, and it continues on. Um, to, to today in the Protestant church. At the same time, during the Reformation, um, the moral influence view kind of takes on some, some 
kind of morphing there um, becomes kind of the example view. We see that today. Like many religions don't think that Jesus died, that his death is a particularly special thing that you have to believe in. But in fact, his life was just to show you the right way to go, right? How you yourself could live righteously. Right, that he was more living a life as an example that you should follow, right? Not that you need to be forgiven. Now, clearly, that's uh, like there, like you can look throughout Scripture and find um, numerous examples of where that just does not fit. Um, the Book of Romans would be a good place to start there. So, another view that kind of came out from from this kind of time was the governmental view. Um, and this view kind of held that God was a governor, that, that there were certain laws that he could like, because he was the governor, he could say, this one's not important right now, or, you know, like, this one's a kind of a, kind of a weird one. It didn't really like stick or take, you know, live too long. Yeah, and that's, that's probably, <laughs> that's probably why it, it didn't, yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. So, like, the idea being is that he could be lax on certain laws or that, but even, even the, even kind of the ones putting forward this, um, they weren't super consistent in, um, the ways that they defended it. So, um, now we're at the point of the Reformation, and now when we push from the ref, time of the Reformation to now, so that was a late, that was, I would say it took the church quite a while for that doctrine to develop and get flushed out completely. So you're talking about about 1,500 plus 1,500 years from the time of Christ to the time of the Reformation. And during that time, much fluctuation in thought and understanding around um, what's going on, like how to how to best view the atonement. So, fifteen. That's there's more time there than there is from the Reformation to us, right? So, like we we hold this understanding out of the Reformation. We ought to under, We ought to understand that 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 there were things in play that's caused us to to kind of hold that view today, and we should we should never take for granted, especially late developments, right? Because there are certain things that are late developments that are just outright heresy, um, and but then there are certain things that they're late developments because the the working out of the that reality or the kind of consistent understanding of that where a lot of understanding um, where like it became firm firmly held by the church a lot of that came um, during like church council type eras right like where the church would like there would be these major external outside influences where the church needed to give a particular answer so they would come together and 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 really solidify and hammer out this was not one of those views that the church ever held the council over um, to this to this day that I'm aware of, the church has never had a council where they've necessarily hammered that out. I think it's kind of evolved, not evolved, but kind of um, matured throughout history to be the the point that we kind of where we hold it today. Um, so out of that, so this it di- it didn't kind of conclude there. So and this is where we'll kind of pick up next week. Um, 
this is where it'll, this is where it'll get it'll get interesting. So from the modern time, so um, once this kind of penal substitu- substitutionary view um, kind of became to be widespread amongst the Protestant believers, out of that there came two other camps. Um, how it always is. We've always got to disagree about something, right? Um, that looked at the uh, the effect of the atonement, and this is where we get um, some of the views, like the like which you would typically it falls into two particular camps. Um, you've got the Arminian camp with unlimited atonement, and then you've got the Calvinist camp with um, limited atonement. So we'll kind of dig into that next week. So those kind of like um, the Reformations, uh, like they made clear certain things, and, but by making clear certain things, they sh- they in some ways shifted the debate into an into another realm, in which we we still find um, like lively lively discussion and, and debate even today. So we'll kind of dig into that um, next next week. I'm gonna close this out, and then we'll.